This is Ife, and I will let my lovely, brilliant co-hosts introduce themselves. Hey everyone, it's Amayo. Hey everyone, this is Ife. Hey everyone, this is Onyeka, aka Yeka-O. So our topic today is very relevant to the time, and uh, we have a special guest here to help us with our discussion and to shed some some uh, light on the issue. So our topic today is the migrant crisis and Libya. So you've heard in the news about slave markets in Libya and how um, sub-Saharan Africans, Black Africans are being kept in inhumane conditions in detention camps. Some of them are kidnapped and sold into slavery and held for ransom. So we're, we're just going to talk about all of that. And with us, we have a very special guest, Sarah. Sarah, do you want to introduce yourself and tell people who you are, what you do? Uh, yeah. Hi, everyone. My name is Sarah. I'm also uh, from Nigeria. Um, I work mainly with victims of human trafficking and sexual exploitation. I've been doing this for the last 11 years, but focused more on this about six years ago. Um, yeah, so over the, the last six years, I've really been looking into the global sex trade um, with a focus on different continents and um, now really looking at Europe and what's happening with Nigerian migrants in Europe and also in other parts of Africa. Thank you for joining us, Sarah. So a little background about how I found Sarah. So when the Libyan um, slave markets exploded into the mainstream and everyone was tweeting and Instagramming and talking about it, um, Kemi Adetiba, who I follow on, she's a Nigerian filmmaker, who I follow on Instagram, um, snap, took a screenshot of a message she got from one of her followers and that follower was Sarah and uh, that's how we connected and Sarah was kind enough to join us today so ladies hmm, hmm. this is a heavy topic you know, <laughs> isn't it? I'm telling you. it is yeah man it is a depressing topic hopefully by the end we'll have some hope about how to combat it but let's 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 dig in let's dive right in um Sarah yes I'd I'd like to I'd like to start with you. So like how did you come about your work? Like what inspired it? What did you study? Like how tell us more about your background. Okay. So I was um originally studying in Nigeria. I was actually in Lasso about thirteen years ago. Okay. Um studying international relations. And what's Lasso? Oh sorry, Lagos State University. Um, there were so many strikes where professors were not getting paid or the students were fighting and the university was closed. And this happened over and over. Um, so I decided, you know, I've always wanted to join a mission trip or join a really cool group that was helping the vulnerable people. So let me see if I can find anything online. And that was what started my trend, my journey. I ended up joining Youth with a Mission, which is a Christian organization. And I joined them because they have campuses and uh, centers, bases in 
most countries around the world. Um, so I joined YWAM, and my de- my my plan was to get my counseling degree through YWAM, because which is youth with a mission. We just call it YWAM, yeah. um, because so many uh, people that I was coming across from when I lived in Nigeria years ago to being overseas um, talked to me about sexual abuse. Mm-hmm. Uh, whether it was my friends, uh, cousins, people I met randomly would be talking on the bus, and this would come up of oh yeah somebody I know was raped or a friend of mine was raped on a date. And so I started thinking I, I would really like to get a degree in counseling. This is not really something we talk about in Nigeria, about getting a counseling degree or being a therapist. Mm-hmm. And so I thought if I just do this, then at least when people come to me, while I don't want to have my own practice, I could at least offer them some basic, um, not even advice because we don't give advice as counselors, but have them on the right track, ask the right questions, mm-hmm. and then be able to refer them to those who can actually help them long term. So I went ahead and got my, my bachelor's in counseling, uh, focused on um, sexual abuse and trauma and addictions. And then at the end of that, I realized, okay, I find this really fascinating. Um, but then I, I find the concept of peace fascinating mm-hmm. because we have abuse and we have all sorts of abuse going on in the world, whether it's sexual or, or physical abuse with violence. Um, there's so many ways we can look at abuse. Mm-hmm. But we have so many wars and so many different kinds of wars and civil unrest. And the problem is the concept of peace is so elusive mm. because we all think that we want peace, but peace for you looks different from from what peace looks like for me. Yeah. And I've been in situations like where we've discussed this over and over with colleagues and friends. But you put me, a bunch of Somali, uh, Somalis, um, some Arabs and some Americans, some Norwegians together, and we're supposed to discuss the concept of peace. And we couldn't agree. Mm-hmm. because we were all filtering through our own lenses. Mm-hmm. And so we, I realized, okay, I want to learn more about this. So I went ahead and got my master's in peace building. Um, and as I was doing that, I really, really decided, okay, as I'm looking at peace and the concept of peace, I want to look at human trafficking and focus on Nigeria. So my thesis was looking at why Edo State is considered... Um, the human trafficking hub of Africa, basically. Mm. So then I did research on that, you know, got more information about that and realized, okay, I still don't fully understand this. There's so much research that needs to be done. Mm. Um, alongside that, I mean, I've been working with Doctors Without Borders, so I was working at sea on the rescue vessels where we were stationed in the international waters outside of Libya so that as the migrant boats were coming in, we would rescue the one, them in distress Um mm bring them on our boat, listen to the Italian authorities who would then tell us where to take them in Italy, which port of safety to take them in Italy. And so we would take them there for disembarkation. But I was hired for that job specifically because I am Nigerian and I work with victims of trafficking. Mm. And so one of my main roles, aside from being a cultural mediator and supervising the cultural mediators team, was also to identify victims of trafficking or potential victims of trafficking or suspected victims of trafficking. Um, So that's what I did. That's what we did at sea. Um, We rescued thousands and thousands of people. I heard literally hundreds of stories. Um, So that's uh, in a nutshell. Thank you for sharing. So that's actually a perfect segue into my next question, and this is for all of us. So what do we, what do you know about human trafficking and the current migrant crisis? Sarah, you mentioned Edo State, and one of my earliest memories or earliest understandings about human trafficking is like 
people at home because you know mm-hmm. we're nigerians and people at home talking about oh how some people some Edo girls go mm-hmm. to Europe and yeah. they are like some madame mm-hmm. will take them, then the madame will now bewitch them. Mm-hmm. Like they are then forced into you know sex sex slavery and um they don't have ways of coming back. So we hear those kinds of stories growing up about be careful if anybody says that they want to take you to Europe or it's a lie. Mm-hmm. You know, they have nefarious purposes, all mm-hmm. of things like that. What have you ladies? Um, Yeka O over here, and I have, you know, heard the similar, you know, Edo stereotype story as well. But yeah, so I've, I've definitely heard that. But I've also heard um, of, you know, evil people who, you know, want to go and make it, you know, somewhere else because conditions of living is hard. Um, you know, being transported on some ship, like being smuggled on a ship to go do something and then you know, they end up doing some other type of job than they had anticipated. Um, let's see what else. And I think just in also in movies as well, like even currently, like if you watch Jennifer's Diaries, you know, that is a huge theme of trafficking there. So I think for me, those would be my... Yeah. Yes, Amayo here. I mean, I, same same thing with Onyeka. Um, and then you also hear about, you know, sometimes family members would invite people here to move to countries like i guess italy for example and then you know they'd market oh you're going to do this you're going to do that you know better life blah 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 and then they get there only to be trafficked they have no idea where they're going where they are and they and then there's also that theme where you get there and then they seize your passport or you're stranded and you know you can't even find your way back So it's like, you know, there are just so many crazy things or there's even the aspect where you, you get there and then somehow they take your like organs, like things like mm-hmm. that. Yeah, that's um, a good one. Mm-hmm. Oh, God. So just terrible, terrible, tragic things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is a fair one. And I think for me, when I was just thinking of the question, what came to mind was in... In the past, never I hadn't really considered migrants as vulnerable. And mm-hmm. when thinking about this episode and the topic, I was thinking about how literally people are leaving their lives. Um, mm-hmm. A, that already makes them vulnerable. And then B, a lot of times people are going to places they've never seen mm-hmm. ever. Mm-hmm. And like I remember like in, even not, like in college... I think was the first time like talking with people who had come to visit, you know, Mount Holyoke and they knew what it looked like. Um, Mm -hmm. And even later on, like working at like the admissions office and seeing people come to visit the school, like realizing like, Oh, that's that. That's one privilege I didn't have. Like I just saw Mm -hmm. pictures and I was like, okay, this is, you know, I guess it looks beautiful or whatnot. Um, but it just made me think like, you know, people are literally leaving their lives some, and a lot of times going to places they've never seen. So that also makes them vulnerable. Um, and sometimes in these places they don't have people. Um, and so that was just something that came to mind when I was thinking just how vulnerable, um, migrants are typically are. Yeah. I think to add to that, um, I think there's also the aspect of, 
I mean, sometimes you hear people say things like, oh, why would anybody leave their country for this kind of suffering, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. I think the first, the first thing for that is most of them don't even know. Yeah. yeah. They don't know what they're about, what they're getting themselves into. Mm-hmm. And I think the second thing for me is people don't realize that things are that bad for some people. Yeah. Like people would willingly leave their current situations to go through like, you know, the long journey. You know, unsafe waters, you know, just that uncertainty because people are really suffering. Mm-hmm. I think that's what people don't understand. But I mean, some people are just so removed from, you know, terrible conditions. They're like, oh, why would anybody do that? But like, people are really, really suffering. Like, they don't have any hope. They don't have any, they don't see any future, any better mm-hmm. conditions where they are. And they feel like, okay, they have to leave their current situation for this, you know, better life. Mm-hmm. Right, and it's, that's also sad for me. I mean, one that people are so removed, and including myself. And then, second thing that people are really suffering. Yeah. And yeah. um, so before you move on, Yeka over here. Um, <laughs> and this, like, this topic is so it yeah, has so many sorry, facets yeah. to it. <laughs> We're about um, to take over. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so for me, I think in in line of what Amaya was saying, like how easily it is to be removed from the situation, like as a people. I think we have this concept of um, service slash like apprenticeship where like, you know, oh, you have this uncle who's in Lagos. And so, okay, since you're not doing anything in the village, come and be an apprentice for me or come. I know somebody who needs help. So you're providing some type of service. And so that's a normal concept for a lot of people. But then you don't understand sometimes that the actual motivations and intent behind those invitations are not always a good thing. So some people won't second guess someone saying, oh, I'll, you know, start a salon for you in X, Y, and Z country, or you'll be providing mm-hmm. um, service in X, Y, and Z place. And then that way you're earning foreign exchange that you can send to your family. So, I mean, there's so many facets mm-hmm. of this and it's, it's so, the concept is so integral to our people that it's like, you can't just say to someone, why would you just leave? Cause it's like, you don't say that to your maid at home. Right. Why would you just leave your family? But it's fine for them to come, you know, work in your mm-hmm. house. And there is, you know, even what's it called? Uh, what, what's the word we just talked about it right now? My brain just went blank. But people, people who are um, being uh, guys, what is this word I'm thinking of? <clears throat> One day I'll make it in life. Migrants. Um, uh, no, not not migrants. Huh? Sex workers. I'm not even workers, but people not doing this internationally, like domestically. Uh, oh, smuggling? Households. Oh. Yeah, house helps, but well, the, okay. the, the, the work, it's fine. We'll just move on. Domestic help? Huh? Domestic help? Yeah, them, but I'm saying the word I'm looking for, we just talked about this. It'll come to me and it'll be fine. I'll be ashamed. <laughs> it's cool. We can, we, can, we can move on. We've been on this for mm. too long. <laughs> yeah. So... Not moving on quite yet, but going back to what Amaya said about how people like say, like you and Onyeka and Amaya talk about how like even family members. So when we think about trafficking, you know, that's the word we sometimes we think (laughs) when we think about trafficking, we think, oh, like there's some nefarious madame or Mm -hmm. pimp or crime boss like that has an extensive ring. Mm -hmm. It doesn't even have to be that complicated or that layered. Mm -hmm. It can literally be your distant cousin or your aunt mm-hmm. being like oh exactly how you described it go for you know go meet your 
your cousin or help and those people then take advantage of the people that are supposed to be their wards mm -hmm. so you're supposed to go to america for school maybe your aunt will like file for you or your aunt mm -hmm. will help you go to community college something mm -hmm. then you then end up being like in bondage and like you don't have a passport there's no way to go so yeah, yeah mm -hmm. there the layers to this shit there's and people like there are seemingly sensible people, seemingly good people who mm -hmm. have domestic help in America or outside Nigeria that can't leave, that mm -hmm. are essentially in foreign lands without help, without anything. Remember this Atlantic article? Yeah. There was this like famous, really, not famous, but really popular Atlantic article about a Filipino immigrant family yes. who brought with oh them my domestic goodness, help who essentially oh. was their slave so like mm -hmm. yeah so anyway we'll talk more about domestic help and trafficking and all of that but um i want to hear from sarah about we spoke about edo you know like edo being the trafficking capital wow of africa i had no idea it was that notorious like even outside outside nigeria um sarah can you tell us more about your thesis what your findings were and like What's unique about Edo? Like, what? Yeah, what is what is that about? First of all, uh, thanks for that question. Um, first of all, I will say um, that at the end of my research, I felt like I still need, and I still feel that way. Like, I need a few more years to fully understand this, mm. because um, Edo State is not the poorest state in Nigeria. Mm -hmm. um, Edo State is not the most or, or the the least, let's say, endowed state in Nigeria, but for so, in terms of resources, but for some reason, Edo State has the largest number of Nigerian women in prostitution and trafficking around the world. And here in Europe, in the different countries, in at least ten different countries where I've, I've worked with people, um, organizations that help victims of trafficking who are Nigerian, actually more than ten countries in Europe. The statement has been the same. The situation is still the same. Of We have a lot of girls from Nigeria. They're mostly from Edo State. Now, why are people coming from Edo State? Through my research, I still can't figure out why. The one thing that is clear, though, and I want to be careful and say this does not symbolize all of Edo State, mm -hmm. but, it's, but one thing that is very, very unique to that part of the country is that some parents are complicit in the, in the trafficking of their children. Mm. is the it's the whole culture of complicity where people say well it's normal this person's child did it Adesua's uh, uh. daughter was living in Italy so she built a house for her mother so you have to do the same thing mm. and there's so many girls that I'm even working with right now who were trafficked by a madame whose mother knew about it and the mother has said you go back to your madame that was the agreement we made before you left Nigeria Mm. Wow. And so this is the reality. And I haven't seen this in any other state in, excuse me, in Nigeria. Now, is it, am I saying that there are no other states where parents are also complicit in trafficking of their children? No. But I'm saying that in Edo State, we're seeing a larger number than we've seen in any other state in Nigeria. And wow. still cannot fully understand why. But one of the things we have seen that is unique there is the fact that relatives, and and family members and parents, especially mothers, are part of the human trafficking trend. Wow, that's sad. That's depressing. And I'm thinking about it. Is it like because, and this is just me hypothet hypoth 
hypothesizing. What's what's the word? Yes, thank you. Hypothesizing. (laughs) uh, That, like, is it possible that there's some, like, key, you know, community members Mm -hmm. that are pillars of so-called their community that kind of, like, groom people or like you know whisper sweet nothings in people's ears and say oh like this is a like this is a for sure way so people that community members respect Mm. that then tout this as a as a viable option for people do you understand what i'm saying like people who've earned Mm -hmm. the community's trust then Mm -hmm. like funnel people to Mm -hmm. that i don't know but here's the thing oh and this is still sarah um here's the thing yes and no Yes, in terms of th- that is happening. Um, and I'm saying, and no, because sometimes it's just the mother finds out there's somebody doing something over there. And she says, please take my daughter with you. I don't care what she has to do. Just make sure she sends money home. Mm. Or cousins or boyfriends taking their girlfriends with them and saying, you do what it takes to hustle. Remember this girl who went last year? Don't worry. She had to sleep with white men, and she made all the money. And then mm-hmm. before you know it, she built her mother a house. So you can do it too. What do you have your buddy for? Mm-hmm. That's now, interesting. Wh- right. But I was just going to say what they don't tell them is that it is that it is not just prostitution. It's going to be sexual slavery. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what happens. It becomes... I mean, it's horrific. I watched somebody die, you know, in front of me. And oh it's 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 a whole thing of it is sexual slavery. It is complete human abuse. And it is, I mean, what they do to these girls is horrific. And sometimes mm-hmm. people will say things like, well, they shouldn't have gone. They brought it on themselves. I'm like, do you think if they knew mm-hmm. that yeah. this was going to happen, that they would go? Mm-hmm. But it's, it's, I mean, my own cousin was trafficked from Nigeria. Mm-hmm. And she was one of the few who I would say got off easy because within, I think, two or three months, she was back home because she was being looked for and people were searching for her. And somehow, so it was the weirdest dynamic of how everything turned out that before she was actually forced into prostitution in Libya, the the police got involved. This was when Muammar Gaddafi was still alive. And the the relationship between Nigeria and Libya was better, the government. And so she was repatriated back home. But she is the minority, mm-hmm. you know, except for now where we've had all the hype and people are talking more about it. Mm-hmm. She's she's the minority. Most people just ended up being stuck there. Yeah. I like the fact that you made a distinction between prostitution and like sex work and sexual slavery, because like, you know, people are sex. Yes, there's um trafficking and that's a scourge and you know, but there are some people who are legitimate sex workers who it is their choice and it is like that that deception of okay, you're going there to do this thing, but actually you're actually going to then like lose your agency, you're mm-hmm. going to then, you know, be subject to someone's whim and yeah. Mm-hmm. So I think I think it's very important to make the distinction between sex work and sex trafficking. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, uh, Yeka over here. I'm I'm just really interested to see why Edo is is like that, and I'm wondering if um, there might be places where certain cultures put value in comparison mm-hmm. to to other places. But I don't know. That's very interesting. Value in what? Like value in sense of like so maybe for some people, um, value for them is in degrees, whereas for some people, value comes from 
um, certain material things. Like, I don't know. I'm just hypothesizing. Okay. And I think, yeah, like, I don't want to, like, I, yeah, I'm about to say something that I feel like maybe I shouldn't say. I will say it. I'll possibly <laughs> take it out of the. I'll, take it out, I'll possibly take it out later. in editing. For sure. But like, I think also attitudes to sexuality can can kind of hmm. play parts. Like, if people are more, and like. You know, if people are more free with their sexuality, it's a good thing. It's a great mm. thing. Like, you know, we want. I personally, I'm mm. for sexual freedom and for mm. and for sexual liberation. But I think that maybe in some societies where there's sexual liberation and se- sexual freedom, and people are like, you know, open about sex and things like that, then there are some people who perverse that and say, mm. okay, like you know, you know, now since you're sexually free and since you're like it's it's kind of like a perversion of a good thing where then that's like okay now you can use this to make money mm-hmm. then people prey on people then traffic mm-hmm. them i don't know am i making sense yeah yeah, yeah. yeah i get what you're saying yeah anyway guys <laughs> I, I think so this is amayo and sorry i'm taking us a bit back um but is it okay if i ask sarah like how your cousin mm. is doing mm. post coming back yes yeah yeah absolutely the interesting thing is that this happened gosh many years ago more than seven Mm -hmm. years ago and we still haven't talked about it to this day because it's still not something she wants to talk about now yeah from my background as a counselor i can already imagine the trauma that she's endured Mm -hmm. i know the changes that she had to make she had to move houses there were so many things that went into that um and I know that she still has not dealt with that issue. And we come from Nigeria, a culture where counseling is not something you do. You don't mm-hmm. talk about counseling. It's like, you want to go and see a, a mental health doctor? Nonsense. That's for white people, you know? Mm-hmm. And and then we don't realize how people end up living with trauma. Yeah. And I and think for her, that. that's, a, that's a big issue right now. I think she's still, because I look at her life and some things that are going on, and I think, yeah, she still has not fully recovered from, from that mm-hmm. ordeal. Mm-hmm. Because I mean, what makes the Nigerian human trafficking uh, ring so different, so, so unique from any other one in the world is the is the use of witchcraft and and mm-hmm. voodoo and juju and the girls take and they they make they allow they force them to make an oath or take an oath and they take blood from them and, and hair from the pubic parts and different things and they tell them that if you if you divulge the information of the people bringing you over, you will go mad or you will die or this will happen. And then the girls will... Exactly. So the girls will not speak. That is one thing. I mean, police departments all over the world that work with Nigerian women have all said the same thing. Hmm. Um, So even for my cousin, talking about what happened and going into details is still something she will not do. Even now that she's safe. Hmm. And so I know that for her, the journey ahead is I mean it's still long, mm-hmm. but yeah. <sighs> I hope she gets help that she needs, and I hope she knows that you're there as a resource for her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, like, okay. So, talking about like Libya and how it's kind of come in the mainstream now, and it's not. 
it's coming the mainstream now, but it's been like in whisper networks. So mm-hmm. like people mm-hmm. who know, like mm-hmm. know about Libya. Mm-hmm. And even before this came into the mainstream, I had heard of stories of Eritrean yeah. migrants being trapped in in the Sinai Desert. Mm-hmm. There was a This American Life episode about it, about like people who like there's this journalist that somebody got her number and was calling her and I'll link to the episode, but essentially like it is a thing. So mm-hmm. Sinai Desert Desert is like uh, close to Egypt. Mm-hmm. It's like the bridge between Africa and Asia. So mm-hmm. it's like close to Israel. Anyway. Um so it's it's a common theme. And why do you think the well like I know but I want to hear your thoughts. Like, why do you think this Libyan thing, like the Libyan um, crisis, like burst into the mainstream and people like it went viral? Why do you think that is? Mm. And what are your thoughts about it in, in general? Mm. Um, Sarah, because you, you've been fight like you've essentially been at, you know, at the forefront of this fight for how many years now? So mm. like, yeah. Mm. What has your experience been about how the conversation has changed or, grown or yeah so i think that this conversation blew up in the last few weeks Mm -hmm. because some people just didn't stop talking about it first of all so uh medicine sans frontier msf has been doing rescues at sea tweeting writing putting up stories uh telling governments and the eu that they need to do something speaking to the un We've compiled thousands of, of testimonies. Um, so the, the, then you had Jugund um, something, one of the other boats. It's a German one. They own Juventa doing rescues as well. But basically what ended up happening in Europe is that the EU started to make, I want to be careful how I say this, there was more of a, a part where the people who were doing good were starting to get persecuted and being made to look like the bad people so we're bringing migrants in and oh yeah we're against europe we're bringing terrorists into europe and that was the thing and then msf and all the other NGOs were on the fire and then in the summer italy signed an agreement with libya saying that libya sort of similar to the sorry to the turkey eu deal um asking libya to keep migrants in libya and not to allow them come into the mediterranean now, and this deal that they made was probably the worst thing they could have done, one of the worst things they could have done. MSF spoke out strongly about that, as did a lot of other organizations. And Italy went on and signed the deal. And so people were stuck in Libya. And then people were desperate. And people started filming and contacting their loved ones and contacting family members. People were being raped to death. People were, so many horrible things were happening. These things have been happening before. But I think it just got to the point where when they were all contained in Libya and there was nothing to be done, people were sick of it and people started to really speak out. Mm-hmm. And then as it does, things like this do, they all, all of a sudden start to trend. And then you had like famous pastors in the U.S., for example, like T.D. Jakes and John Gray tweeted about it. And then you had actors and actresses and different people tweeting about it and, and Hollywood musicians tweeting about it. And because of the documentary that CNN, because when CNN went under, went to a, an auction, a sleeve auction, mm-hmm. and had the footage, then people were like, oh my God, this is still happening, mm-hmm. and began to speak about it, and then all of a sudden it spread. Mm-hmm. And my only hope is that it doesn't die out so quickly, as most things do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
but that people were that were able to make a change now. Mm-hmm. Ladies, what do you what what has been your thoughts on like your reaction seeing seeing all of this over social media and yeah. Um, Yeka O, um, and in as much as, you know, it's gotten a lot of traction, um, I feel like there is also this strong level of disengagement, Mm. um, that this is like actual human life, um, to some degree. So it's like, you talk to people and it's like, oh yeah, I heard that there are crazy things going in, going on in Libya, but like no one is actually asking for the details of what it is. So almost like it's easier for them to be on the other side and just fake empathize um, because, you know, there's a lot of crazy things going on in the world today. Um, so that, that part is kind of disheartening to see that people have the privilege to, myself included, be, be on a certain side and say, well, you know, I empathize, but then there's too many causes, which I'm gonna, which one am I going to fight? Um, but also in the U.S., though, it's very interesting um, how much traction it has gained. And I think to some degree it's because of the awareness of Libya um, and U.S. relations. Um, so Libya is not some strange name um, to the American people. So I think that that has helped um, with people actually being able to identify or make associations between what they know of Libya um, from a political standpoint and what's going on right now. That's interesting. Um, this is Ifeyoa and I just took down some notes so I don't forget <laughs> things that came to mind as we're <laughs> talking. Um, one of the things that came to mind is just how do things go viral? There's mm-hmm. this, there's kind of this randomness to, you know, it's like nobody, when you make a video, it's, I don't think people usually don't know when they make a video that's going to go viral viral. Um, so there's almost this, yeah, happenstance, like maybe it will. And so I remember when I saw all the articles and people lamenting about it and, um, and then in reading the articles for this episode, realizing that this is actually not a new conversation. But the thing mm-hmm. is that when mm-hmm. things like this tend to go viral, like an example that comes to mind is Coney. Another example is, you know, hashtag bring back our girls. When things like this go viral, it kind of feels like, oh, this is a new issue without mm-hmm. realizing that some of these things have been happening for such a long time and that there are people on the ground who've been doing work to like combat this. Um, the other thing that came to mind is in seeing people talk about it in my feed, realizing how the conversation is being framed around race um, is something that I've noticed. Um, and I'm not like, it's not to say it's a bad or a good thing, but just noticing that like there are quite a number of people um, who are saying like, you know, slavery has to end, like, you know, positing it as a, conversation about race as opposed to a conversation about migration Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. and then what else again came to mind yeah just how as much as i love the internet and like now that this is viral and mainstream people are even if they're not actively doing anything people nobody can feign ignorance like you can't say you don't know you know in this day and age 
Um, wait, how was I going with that? Now I don't remember who was getting that. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, yeah. So, but then also noticing, because when I heard about it, I was like, okay, I want to know more. But for some reason, I'm subscribed to New York Times newsletter. Um, like I get a daily newsletter and there was no lengthy article covering it. Um, mm. And then I went to another, like I think Vox, I think I checked and I didn't see anything talking about it. And I was like, hmm. Was, so that was kind of curious because like everybody's talking about it, but it wasn't, I didn't see anything in detail until like if had the articles you shared but even those articles are from a couple they're not from the past mm -hmm. couple of weeks um but also realizing like when things like this go viral there's almost this like short lifespan it's like everybody's in a dizzy and we're seeing it every minute of every day and maybe after a couple days, maybe to be generous, a week or so, then the conversation dies down and there's something else that comes up. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. But yeah, that's like haphazard, all over the place, uh, things that came to mind. Okay. Hi, this is Amayo. Um, so writing off of the first thing that Ifeiwa said, um, I think this this is one of those things that was intentional. Like when it comes to like being viral mm. or get sorry going viral i think kind of like what sarah said it was it was very intentional you know specific people are tweeting and you know putting our messages there and you know big names you know all the pastors who have all this influence and mm. celebrities so they they had that mission of okay we have to make this trend so people know what's going on yeah sorry um, but just to interject i think sometimes you have an in like I think my point about things going viral too is that you can hope for something to go viral and then it mm -hmm. ends up not mm -hmm. like it's weird. Yeah. I don't even know, but you can carry on. I just yeah, no, no, no. I, 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 just, I, like, I get, I get what you're saying. Yeah. And there, like, I get the whole like randomness of things being viral. Like yeah. people don't even know. people just put out videos and like, oh, you know, I just did this for fun, and then before they know, they have like five hundred thousand retweets. Yeah, or know? like on the other so side, get, that, like you saying. want something to go viral. But it might yeah, not like you might reach a large flops. number of people, but just be a fail. But sorry, yeah. And I think like what I was going, um, what I was going for is like I mean the success of that and um, like how intentional it was, and then how obviously it picked up and you know, and like what you said, you can't go into a place and ask someone or oh, do you know about this and they wouldn't know it's like where do you live under a rock that kind mm. of thing like everybody should know and i think from the third thing that you said ify as well is i actually had the opposite um no reaction but the opposite um observation what's it called uh, experience observation is that like i'm so grateful for the internet i mean sometimes this is the worst thing on earth but <laughs> like they're all the resources is crazy so i mean like when it started picking up and you know everybody was talking about it like i wanted to know more like you know details like can i see clips mm -hmm. can i just you know get a get a better feel of what's going on and i i mean like i was i, I was even overwhelmed with you know footage and articles and i was like oh, okay this is relevant, this makes sense, this doesn't sound biased, this doesn't sound removed from the situation. So I, I was 
more like i found a lot of useful material to cover like what's going on now like you know like business even like business insider did one of those like you know short videos on okay the summary of what's going on but it's also very it was also very detailed and you know just easy to digest this is Ife. so my i hear you i echo um what you say Ife, about how like our attention spans now are short and how like viral things that like you know have all this seem to have all this momentum in the beginning it's mm. like a bright mm-hmm. flame that just burns really brightly but for such a short period of time and it just fizzles out and i hope mm. that's not the same mm. thing with libya mm. but yeah you're thinking about how the thing is framed about the thing about race mm. how it's like a conversation about race and i think i think for us black africans who are i don't know how to say this <laughs> stop trying to filter yourself no i'm not trying to filter myself i'm just trying okay. to be i'm trying to be um politically correct I'm not politically correct i'm trying to be okay. i'm trying to collect my thoughts i'm trying to be okay i don't know how to say it, like concise and direct and you know mm. I'm, yeah i don't want to ramble ramble but essentially i think what it has made me like what I've it's confirmed all what I've known that anti blackness is global. So like <laughs> you know wow. um like slavery in all different forms. There's slavery wow. in India, there's like, you know, indentured servitude, there's like different types of slavery and bondage. But I think the thing that's most jarring to us globally is like anti black slavery. Like the the jarring pictures of that that bring back a bring back memories of time that we thought we've left so Mm. like people in chains and the fact that the people putting those other people in chains are of a different race Mm. so that makes it more jarring so yes anti-blackness is global but i also think that the outrage has been cosmetic i don't know how to Mm. like Mm -hmm. my Keep going, so the girl, outrage, so, <laughs> so the outrage is valid, yes, and it's real. But I think the outrage can is it, also a way of making us feel slightly better. Like it's mm. like you know, like this is this is something everybody can get behind and say, oh, this is wrong, this is yeah. terrible, this is like you know, mm-hmm. anti black people are, in, are being treated like as chattel. Mm-hmm. You know, it is it is despicable. But like I think our scope should expand beyond that and we should mm-hmm. also be introspective and say okay what other forms of oppression and slavery are we blinded to because it's not as jarring as mm-hmm. seeing people in chains mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know what other things are contributing to this like you know to the audacity of this mm-hmm. thing happening because it's not it, it, it's, it's a gradual thing it's not like one day bam people are in chains it's a gradual dehumanization of people yes. and it starts from somewhere mm-hmm. so it starts from like taking it you know we talked about how there's a culture of apprenticeship back home and how people say oh follow your uncle to whatever whatever we need you know we want you to eat so like when our people do that but then treat then then treat the wards or people that come into their houses as mm-hmm. less than they treat yeah. them as you know 
there's a gradual there's a there's some sort form of dehumanization that happens there mm -hmm. that we can become desensitized to mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so when you know you have and like this this is very common and you know i'm ashamed to say that like even my part you know my family like you know there was a time we had a help who was like maybe one year older than me and she was expected to do like all of these things that I would me, I was just, you know, I'll go I'll go to sleep. The girl will still be washing dishes in the kitchen. So mm -hmm. essentially like a culture of gradual dehumanization mm -hmm. that we're blinded to and this seeing stuff in Libya kind of like made me like I don't know how to say it. It kind of like it's 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 a call to everybody to be more aware of other ways that people are being dehumanized and being kept in in bondage mm. if somebody is working in your house you know like this domestic help and all of that yes but like culture can change things can change you can be humane in you know even if somebody is working for you does that is that money that they are supposedly earning is it a living wage is it like sensible money mm -hmm. you know does that person have vacation can they go away do they have days off or is this person like working seven out you know seven days mm -hmm. no day off no hours off you know like they're up at six they go they're the last to go to bed mm -hmm. you know like things like that that we've just been desensitized to it's mm. it's 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 I'm speaking to Nigerians now or Africans or other people who have culture of like that kind of domestic help and servitude, like for us to examine because mm. if you know somebody I, I, this is just hypothetical but like somebody who's a domestic worker can be like oh like if I'm suffering like this like I might as well like try my luck in Europe do you mm -hmm. understand like I make more money are, exactly I make more money so there are like ways that each of us were unknowingly contributing to inhumane conditions mm -hmm. that cause people to leave and be without hope and like you know I don't this was a long-winded thing but yeah do you understand so yeah so essentially like examining our practices and and removing uprooting things that are inhumane and yeah uh, Sarah, Yoko over here, I have a question for you. Have you personally um, interacted with actual traffickers and or people who, mm. who have trafficked and have been like, um, I can't do this anymore? <laughs> yes. But maybe exp expand your question a little bit more. Um, I'm just interested in just understanding the mindset of traffickers. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yes. Yes, I have. Um, I've met those who have been involved in the trade and continue. Um, and I know personally one guy who used to do that and doesn't do it anymore. And, you know, look, this industry is worth more than $150 billion every year. Oh, this is Lord. the amount of money that we know of. Mm. There's so much more that we don't know of. So what he says, he says it's crazy to believe, but it's really about money. At some point, you get numb, wow. and then you see the woman or the man, whoever you are trafficking, as the source of your income, wow. and you will do whatever it takes to get that income from them. Yeah. And I mean, traffickers have said this over and over, that you sell drugs, it's used, that's it. 
you sell a woman, you can sell her to at least seven different people. And by seven different people, I don't mean clients. I mean people who would then force her into prostitution. And so the return is high. And so he's saying, like, he, this is what this guy said. He said, you know, I think about, I think about the person I was, and I can't reconcile that to the person I am now because I can't believe I did those things. Mm-hmm. But he said, money will make you do things that you never thought that you were capable of, and I believe it. And it really. So, like, is what, what made him stop? Yeah. Well, uh, <laughs> he was he was being hunted by. Uh, mm-hmm. Some guys, and then he went somewhere and he met these people who were Christians, and they invited him and they gave him a place to stay for free. And he got to know what they were doing, and he was down. I mean, you know, at the end of the day, when people are down and they have nothing else to do, they'll look up. Hopefully, Mm. you know, there's no. It's so funny. I was going to ask. Yeah, I was going to ask if he found Jesus, but I didn't want to. He did. <laughs> he did. He became a Christian. I guess that was the answer. Finding Jesus, is yeah. yeah. Trafficking, prostitution, Madame is giving tight in church too. Mm. Yeah. 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 We're about fight. to start a whole different conversation. <laughs> mm. But yeah, we thank the Lord for His mm. salvation and His <laughs> turn around. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that's what happened yeah, to him. Is turning yeah. around. Wow. Unusual praise, isn't it? Yeah, girl, I'm still overflowing. <laughs> um, so Sarah, you mentioned yeah. So one thing that struck me with on your DM conversation with Kemi was like you were like, oh, it's Nigerians themselves that are you know, yeah, that yes. are the linchpins, if you mm-hmm. will, that are upholding this thing and mm-hmm. making it thrive. Like it's their mm-hmm. fellow mm-hmm. countrymen. And my question is, like, how do we, what are your recommendations for combating this? Like, how do we as Nigerians, like, how do we get rid of those linchpins? I don't know. It's such a, it's such a big question. It's such a, I don't know if it, yeah. I don't know if you can answer that. I'm going to try, you know, but it's such a, I mean, this is so crucial. I feel like the Nigeria that I grew up in, well, I know the Nigeria that I grew up in is not the Nigeria we have today. Mm-hmm. And the one that my parents and my grandparents grew up in, mm-hmm. where people looked out for each other and mm-hmm. people took care of each other. We had corruption then as well, but th- it just feels like there was more love and more compassion mm-hmm. as opposed to now where it just seems like it's e- literally everyone for himself. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Where people are sending their children and people are doing things that would never have done like 50 years ago. Mm-hmm. And so this whole thing, that, that was probably what drove me nuts the most because while I, I say yes, it's true. What Libyans are doing to Nigerians in Libya is horrific. Mm-hmm. Um, I've, I've seen, I've heard countless stories. I believe it. I've seen the videos. However, what Nigerians do to Nigerians mm-hmm. is probably the worst because you have all these Nigerians who are being kidnapped in Libya. Yeah, they're being held hostage. As a black person, you cannot walk freely on the streets. You get kidnapped. You get in a taxi, the taxi driver kidnaps you. Wow. You know, so you, you cannot walk on the, you can't. Literally, you can't. Um, and then you get kidnapped and they say, okay, you need to pay uh, mm. 5,000 dinar or whatever that is. Um, mm-hmm. like, I think that's like 50,000 naira. No, I think that's like 500,000 naira. And they say, okay, you need to pay it. Here's a Nigerian bank account. Here's the name. Mm. Transfer the money to it. Wow. Okay, so who owns that account? Mm, yeah. You know? Yeah. And and why is the bank, why are the banks not flagging those accounts that are getting mm-hmm. all this money in from Libya mm. or from Nigeria? And so 
you have these, and this is what I've heard even from Nigerians who have come through Libya, who have said, you know, I went to Libya and I met Nigerians and I thought I could trust them and I found out they were the worst. I mean, loads of stories of of people who came into Libya because a friend told them to and the friend sold them. Wow. You know? And so while we're looking outside, you know, like you're about the Yoruba proverb that says the, the insect that's destroying the vegetable yeah, actually lives in the vegetable. <laughs> you know, it lives it lives in there. It's you translated. Yeah. So it basically says the insect that's eating the vegetable actually lives in the vegetable. It's not outside the vegetable. Mm. Like the enemy is within. Yeah. And so we have issues with Libya, but first of all, we need to address ourselves as a nation and mm. we need to regain our compassion. Yeah. I feel like yeah. we have lost that and we will do anything for money now. Anything, mm. just anything for money. You know, just, you know, it's, it's, we've, it's gotten brutal. It's almost scary. Mm-hmm. And, <sighs> and we need to, and I don't want this to be depressing and overwhelming because while all this stuff is happening, there are good people out there who are fighting mm-hmm. and trying to see these people return home. There are people in Nigeria who are saying, we want to help the returnees. And there are loads of people in Europe, all around Europe, and even the U.S., who are saying, okay, what can we do from here? And so the, the, the challenge, the struggle is great. Like the, We have our work cut out for us. But I really, really do think that as a nation, we need to go back to our our history, you know, and our foundation of, of working together to see each other grow in a good way yeah. and help yeah. each other. And the concept of family and what family really means, mm-hmm. that if somebody is my family member, I do not exploit them. Yeah. If you are, you know, and just really looking out for it, I mean, we shouldn't be exploiting anyone anyway, but, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but not like, you're not my family member, I'm going to sell you. Mm-hmm. No, but yeah. <laughs> really looking at each other and saying, hey, we're, you know, our country is already messed up in so many ways. So many of our leaders have destroyed our country. Mm-hmm. If we want a better future, we have to start now. Yeah. And and yeah. Yeah, I I was about to. This is if I was about to like say that too because all these all these head of states, all these people that are feigning. Mm you know shock and oh we're going to retire you know we're going to retaliate or not retaliate but like feeling like vulture and i'm like you people are the ones that made it mm. unbearable for people to remain in their countries mm-hmm. the economic situations are the economic hardship is so great mm-hmm. that people will rather trek through deserts yeah. to to get to a better life so like mm-hmm. you know like all of these people have blood on their hands. Like mm. all this, like people yeah. who are looting, they're not just like, it's not just they're not looting from the ether. They're mm. not. It's not you know they're not spinning gold like Rumpelstiltskin, and it's just <laughs> like these things have actual consequences on people's yeah. lives. Right. Yeah. When money that you're supposed to use to 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 fund education is mm-hmm. chopped, yeah. and people don't have good education, people don't have foundations to mm. to build. Yeah. Econo- economic opportunities for themselves when money they're supposed to use for health you know like it's just yeah and i think like we as citizens we need to get more angry about this shit because like yeah. yes mm-hmm. let's chant against libya like you know let's mm-hmm. march let's all of that like you know but let's also like, exactly how you said kokorotunje like there are different kokoros from yeah. governmental <laughs> kokoro to evil <laughs> neighbors and you know familial people and friends like you know 
there's so many things that we just have to untangle in our own <sighs> yeah so uh Yika, over here i think for me what's just really glaring are two things one how do we re reintroduce hope um for our people mm-hmm. and how do we foster this sense of shared humanity mm-hmm. amongst our people i think for me that's what i'm doing this conversation with is mm. How are we going to create a system where people feel like there is some form of hope? And it doesn't have mm-hmm. to be the American dream type of situation, but how do we create hope? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, can I, I'm going to speak into that a little bit because, and this is Sarah, uh, because we, as Nigerians, we are visual people. Mm. Yeah, our culture is a storytelling culture. and I think the use of media is huge in dealing with this in in what we portray what we show people Mm -hmm. if my my sister and I were talking about the wedding party and she said one of the reasons why that movie what she feels that movie was such a big hit I mean Kemi did a fantastic job the cast is amazing and one of the things that they did that was so good was that they if you as you watch the movie a lot of Nigerians can relate to one character or the other Mm-hmm. even if it's the driver mm-hmm. you know or the guy who found the invitation card on the street <laughs> and went to the wedding you know mm-hmm. that in some way or the other they touch the hearts of people because people could be like oh yeah I remember this or oh, I know somebody like this mm-hmm. and I think if we're going to introduce hope or the concept of, of hope or or fan the concept of hope into flames that's in the country that using media will be so key for example I remember probably 20 years ago or 15 years ago, sometime then, um, there was a show on TV called This Life. Mm, It's beautiful. beautiful. (laughs) Everything seems to be falling apart. Um, And there was an episode, I mean, the advert for This Life, I will never forget to this day, was a boy on the roof. Mm. He probably went there and shouldn't have been there. And the father said, jump, I'll catch you. No, dad, no, daddy, I cannot jump. The father said, will you jump? I will catch you. I'm your father. And he was like, okay. Then he jumped. And as he jumped, the father moved out of the way. And the boy, I think he broke his leg or something. And he was like, dad, father, why did you do this to me? And he said, this is your first lesson in life. Never trust anybody. Not even me, your father. And I was like, oh, my God. Yo, this like that. Yeah, I remember that a lot. And then he became this guy who didn't care about women's feelings and he was just, mm-hmm. but it was all from, but see, I remember that from how many years ago? Mm-hmm. I remember the stories from Tales by Moonlight yeah. and Ooh. Storyland. You know, there are specific things that still stay in my mind. Mm-hmm. And this is in Uganda years ago when HIV was at its peak. I mean, it was really, really high in, in Uganda. The government had tried everything. And they said, okay, fine, let's try the ABC rule that somebody introduced. Abstinence, be faithful, or use a condom. Mm-hmm. And they put billboards. And to this day, I still laugh every time I go to Uganda because they had this billboard of this middle-aged-looking guy. He was probably in his 40s, bald-headed guy, didn't really look that attractive. <laughs> and then and then, then they wrote under his picture, would you, have, would you let this man have sex with your, teen, with your teenage daughter? No. And then on the back, it said, then why are you having sex with his? Cross-generational sex stops with you. Ooh. And and I was like, whoa. 
But you see, they introduced these concepts mm-hmm. and those things affected the entire nation. And the HIV and AIDS, um, what was an epidemic in the country, reduced, dra- reduced drastically because people decided, okay, I'll either abstain, I'll either be faithful or I'll use a condom. I have mm-hmm. three options. And, I, and they use visual aid. And this is, I say, Black Africa, like Black African culture is very much visual. And so, and storytelling, very full of that. And I think that's one thing we need to t- take back and not try to be like Hollywood of like, mm. oh, I'm going to sleep with 10 guys in one day and be like, oh my gosh, mom, you're just ruining my life because we don't do that, you know? But actually look at, this is happening. People are being trafficked. However, as Nigerians, no matter how bad things are, there's still hope in our country. Nigeria is a country of hope, I'm telling you. You go down the street, Man. someone's selling pepper, and they're dancing galala on the streets as they're selling yeah. the pepper, you know? That doesn't mean that they're not still suffering, though. Like, yeah, <laughs> but they still have hope. Yeah, yeah I know, I know. I just, um, I just, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm like, just it, getting, I'm just mm-hmm. dissatisfied with yes. the, with the, um, with the aesthetic or the like mm-hmm. visual representation mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. like you know they may still be smiling mm-hmm. but like mm-hmm. their quality of life is people are still suffering is what i'm trying to get yeah I don't no know. no no i agree i agree yeah, yeah, I agree with, yeah, yeah. i'm yeah. not like trying to counter that but i'm just i'm this is just me vocalizing my frustration in terms of mm. like you know yeah yeah I'm just talking about hope, first of all, mm. and making sure that that doesn't die. I met girls in their 30s who could not read mm. and could not write out their names. and they Like had some gone, of the people who were being That we rescued, yes, who came from through Libya and then ended up on our boat and were saying, Ugh. Auntie, please, I don't know. How, can you help me write out my name? I don't know how to write it. Oh, Lord, have mm. mercy. Like, this is what, like, enrages me. Like, when I talk about, like... Po- you know, politicians stealing people's future. Like, th- this is a prime example. Mm-hmm. And so education. Mm-hmm. You know, if we're yeah. thinking practically, education is a huge thing. Mm-hmm. Of people being having being able to go... I live in the Netherlands. You cannot take your child on a vacation without getting permission during mm-hmm. school, working... During school, uh, the school year. Yeah. You get to the airport, they want to see the permission slip. You cannot leave the country. If you leave and you're coming back, they'll ask for it. Mm-hmm. You know, and but in Nigeria, people can't even go to school because they cannot afford to go to a good school. Or you go to the government school and they're beating the daylight out of you mm-hmm. in class, you know, and or but, your teacher <laughs> cannot even like spell right or speak. exactly like the whole Kaduna thing. Yes, anyway, yes, that's a story for another day. Yeah, but I think, and I mean, I'm gonna let you talk, but I think really, first of all, looking at the concept of hope and looking at how to introduce reintroduce that into our society yeah. through what people can see, because then that inspires people to do something. Mm-hmm. If they see somebody that looks like them making something out of their lives, like that Olajimoke lady, mm-hmm. yeah, and and now she does, uh, she has a, a vlog, vlog on YouTube. Oh, I didn't know that. In Yoruba. And I'm sure there's so many Yoruba girls who are like, ah, I want to be like her. And then she brings people in. Every once in a while, she chooses someone and then they come and join her. Mm-hmm. And because people say, okay, I can relate to that. Mm-hmm. And I can connect to that. And there's hope for me as well. Yeah. But now if we want to look into more tangible ways as well, then we're thinking, I'm thinking education. Mm-hmm. 
and empowering people because if people are empowered if people are educated they will fight for their rights mm-hmm. if they know what they are if they're empowered to fight but in nigeria look at what's happening with sars right now oh my god that's, that's mm. all different yeah let's not even let's it's not even so go there you know annoying. <laughs> so, like, it's like yeah like and i've heard like stories from stories. people who have you know been victims of the whole size thing and i'm just like mm. yeah these people are just mm. never know that's that's enough completely yeah. but but you were talking about something real earlier about indentured slavery mm-hmm. or maids and i was thinking yeah. about that actually and thinking as we're looking outwards at people who have enslaved fellow Nigerians and fellow West Africans and tortured them. And as we speak against that, you're right. Let's look in our own homes as well. Yeah. It's so normal to have a maid and to only give them one day off a month. Yeah. yeah. Or, do, do, some, some of them even, don't even get one day yes. off a month. They say Sunday is your free day. You go at nine and you come and back come at back, two. Back. Yeah. 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 And and it's normal. We thought it was normal growing up. Mm-hmm. Like Okon only goes home, you know, on Sundays, mm-hmm. once a month, and then he gets I don't know twenty k or something. Yeah, and then you but, treat him like he's the like scum of the earth. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. So yeah, yeah. I think those are those are good practical things to think about. Ladies, do you have any? Any th- anything else to add? I wanted to talk about how, like, again, there's so many people with blood on their hands from the EU and people like keeping migrants in Libya to the people who destabilized Libya mm-hmm. and took when they when they when they outsted Gaddafi mm-hmm. and made it's a prime breeding. You know, it was just lawless and people were doing whatever the fuck. Like, you know, it's like. You people had this aim. You, you were coming to do white savior, and you were trying to be, and you just fucked everything up, and you didn't even think about yeah. the downstream consequences. Yep. You just yep. wanted to look like a superpower, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. then thousands of people are, are are being sold, and people's lives are just destroyed. Mm-hmm. Anyway, mm-hmm. yeah, I I'm right there with you. I think it's very important for policymakers. Um, and, and this is speaking from the American perspective right now, is people who are so political and have so many opinions about migration um, and, and America's involvement in, in other countries, like before mm-hmm. you solidly stand behind some party or some person, you know, ask, ask yourself if the decisions that are going to be made by that person is going to fortify what your sense of humanity should be like. Because if you're going out there and destabilizing countries, and yes, you've gotten this one man killed, what vacuum have you now created and what problems mm-hmm. downstream would now be a result of this? So yeah. in as you, as you do that, also feel free to take ownership of um, downstream problems and don't act like you didn't cause it. Yeah. Yeah, there was one poster. Somebody had a poster. I think um was like, you don't like refugees. Stop making them. You know, mm-hmm. you don't want them to come to you. Stop fucking creating them. Mm-hmm. Anyway, all right, ladies. <laughs> this is great therapy, guys. Been... I really love talking to you guys. <laughs> oh my god! Like I have a headache. Like my head. You know when you're just your head is hot and you're just mm. like, oh my god. Um, any last thoughts? Um, Sarah, I could talk to you forever. I feel like I I want to ask you more questions. I you know like 
Yeah. I know. Can we um, be friends like in real yeah. life? <laughs> <laughs> we'll have to have you back. Um, but like to close off, what are the, I don't know. Ladies, help me out. Do you have any last thoughts? Any, I don't, how do you, how uh, do you I have end a question this? for Sarah. I mean, I think it should be a concluding question. <laughs> Hopefully. Um, so I, I feel like there are so many people who want to help, right? There are people who don't know how they can help. Mm-hmm. It's easier to point fingers, oh, this person should have done this, but then, mm-hmm. like, how how mm-hmm. do people... Okay, so my, my, my real question is, how do people pretty much become you? Or how do they get to the point that you are? Like, people want to actually be out there volunteering helping these people how do they get to that point Mm. i think so with human trafficking as with most um humanitarian issues or crises there are three phases yeah there's there are three aspects there's prevention there's intervention and there's aftercare Mm -hmm. and i think it's always important for everyone to assess physically for yourself and say what do i want to get involved i would never recommend that people get involved in all three and say if you want to do prevention and awareness creation fantastic so even if that's going to schools or if it's being part of an ngo that does that or even supporting an ngo that you know is credible and doing a good job legitimately and if you want to be part of intervention that oftentimes has to do with being part of law enforcement and the people who are actually doing the rescues um and aftercare which is the biggest part and the part that lacks help the most because this means whether you're running a shelter or being part of this women's lives or this men's lives in the long term. But I think ultimately what happens is people look at all three and they choose, okay, I want to be part of this one and that's what I'm going to do. And whether people consciously realize that that's what they've done or not, that's what they've done. It said, it said there's, there's an issue here. People have been trafficked or being abused, molested or forced into labor um, and I want to help. And they've just decided to. And I think ultimately what, what how that happens is that when you're exposed to it long enough, like for me, when it happened to my cousin, I realized it wasn't just far away. Mm. Before then, I had been to Cambodia. I'd been to India. I'd been to different places where I thought I would help here because this is where it's happening. And then it happened to my cousin and I was like, hold up, this is actually happening in my own country. Mm. And Nigeria actually is the most donating African nation to the global sex trade. And so, okay, then I need to look home and see what's happening, you know, at home, back home. But I think a lot of the time people might feel overwhelmed. Like, how do I help? Where do I start from? I say, look at the three, pick one and say, okay, if I'm going to do prevention and awareness creation, even if that means I'm going to start with my colleagues at work. If I'm going to say, okay, for the next six months, I'm going to tell one person a month about human trafficking. Or about what's happening in my city, in my own city. Um, And I'm going to say, okay, this is what's happening here. I'm going to do research and just tell one person a month. And by the time you have no idea the impact that would make, what that one person you've told, what they might go on to do in their life. Mm -hmm. And so I would say, look at the three and look at which one you think you would be able to commit to. And even if you say one person in two months, you know, let's not set goals that are unrealistic or unattainable. Mm And then you can kind of push it up as you do it more and more and start from there. And it might feel like, but there's so many people trapped and there's so much that needs to be done and millions of people are enslaved. Yes, 
But at the same time, I think we do it one at a time. And sometimes things happen where you get a hundred at a time and that's fantastic. Like all the ones that were repatriated back to Nigeria, that's great. Hopefully there's going to be aftercare for them. <laughs> mm-hmm. But I think that's yeah. my real worry. Yeah. But this is we start when we start somewhere. We have to start somewhere. <sighs> Thank you so much, Sarah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Ladies, any last thoughts before we go into I don't even should we even do I know I'm not even <laughs> I'm like is it a anyway, any last thoughts? Yeah, this is the thing one. I just wanted to say I think Sarah just said what I, w- I was thinking about just sometimes it feels futile to have these conversations and it's like oh we're still talking about this but um a lot of times people who are making these policies there are people in power who are not even they're thinking so abstract and they're not thinking personal um and so sometimes in having conversations with people they're the ones who end up voting people in power the people you talk oh. to they're, you know they might be the ones and who end up going into power um mm-hmm. so and i just love the point sarah brought up earlier about storytelling um and you know that's hopefully one of the reasons you know why we started this podcast is to combat this idea of the other and in talking about these things, it's like bringing it to people's consciousness and awareness. It's not just happening to make these stories more, I don't know, pers- personal and talk about it more. Um, and that way, like, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, ugh. Wow. Yeah. Yes, but yes, I'm glad yes. we talked about this on the on the on the podcast because it's something mm-hmm. that's not to be brushed under the rug and yeah. Mm-hmm. Because like we're just we're relatively privileged. Like our own mm-hmm. migrant stories are very you know cushy. Oh, you know, I went for college and some people are mm, suffering out here and risking life and limb and yeah. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Can I say something really quick? Yes. Um, one thing that I, I want to highlight mm-hmm. is just the difference between trafficking and smuggling. Mm. But how the two oftentimes end up being intertwined. Okay. Because with, with like we do a lot of work with the police here, and this is one thing they always bring up as well, is making sure that this is clear. Because people get paid to be smuggled out of the country. Mm. But a lot of the time they end up being victims of trafficking. And then some people will say, well, they paid for it if they deserved it. But, okay, so there, if you look online, there are just several things that separate trafficking and smuggling, differentiate. But trafficking of a person is actually a crime against the person, Mm -hmm. while smuggling is a crime against the state. Mm -hmm. Because with smuggling, international borders have to be crossed. Then it becomes a case of smuggling. Mm -hmm. Um, While we're trafficking, people can be trafficked at home. Mm -hmm. And so... What tends to happen is people pay to be smuggled. They get smuggled out of the country and then they become victims of trafficking Mm -hmm. because then the trafficker says, well, now you're not going anywhere. This is now what you have to do and you have to pay me back. And so we cannot look at those people and say, you brought it on yourself because they were not paying to be sold into slavery. Mm -hmm. They were paying to hopefully find a better life and a better dream. Mm. And the reality is, I'm telling you, we've, Seen, I've seen thousands and thousands of people rescued. Um, and at the end of the day, when they're alive and they've taken a nap 
on the boat and we're headed back to Italy and they wake up, they're just thankful. They're so thankful and they're so hopeful as well. It's so hard to explain because they're just like, you know what? I survived. There must be something. There must be something for my life. There must be something out there for me because I'm still here. And those moments, those moments are some of the moments that encourage me and help me keep going. Where I think, you know what? If this person who has lost everything, who actually came on our boat naked and we had to give them clothes, can still look at look me in the eye and say, you know what, Auntie Sarah, I survived. I didn't die in the water. There's there, there must be something for me. I will not give up. You know that there is some there's resilience, and it shouldn't have to get to that point, but. Even at that point when people get to that where they have where they have nothing and they still say I'll fight through, that encourages me to keep fighting as well. Mm-hmm. And to say, Hey, you know what, I won't give up either. And as many people as I can help, I will help too. And I think that's an attitude to have to say in my own no matter what my own little way looks like in my own part of the world, to say I will be the best person I can be and I will invest in someone else. Mm. Thank you so much, Sarah. I know. Thank you so much. So, ladies, do we want to do we want to end with, or should we just? Yeah, no. No one's feeling it. (laughs) (laughs) We can just do our. I guess it's the end. It's the end of the year, right? This is our last. It is. It is our last last... episode for the. Ah, I'm sorry, guys. We we should. You know. Sorry for ending on such Life a is. serious note. Don't worry. We'll be back in the new year with some mm. something to spice up your lives. Don't make any promises. <laughs> we can't keep it. <laughs> See, baby. Wow. Leading me and snatching me. Drag me, sis. Drag me, drag me. No, we yeah, just want people to go into the year more intentional about, mm. you know, mm. their, That's a good... their humanity. So. Love the spin. Love the spin, girl. Thanks, Thank girl. you. <laughs> Thanks, thanks. Okay, so now that we're kind of giggling, do you guys want to share what you're reading, listening to, watching? Sarah, so at the end of the episode, we kind of like do, yeah, we give recommendations. We talk about what we're, the media we're consuming and if we're enjoying it. Does anybody want to go first? Uh, sure, I can go. Um, okay. So it's Christmas time, so I'm listening to a lot of L.M. Lewis's Christmas, Ella Fitzgerald and Louis Armstrong's uh Christmas jazz album. Uh, I'm also listening to Travis Green's crossover album. Um, loving it. I'm not reading because in the semester, so I'm just grading. Um, I'm not reading or watching. Sorry, this is Amayo. I'm not watching anything new. I'm not listening to anything new. I'm not really feeding my senses in that regard. I'm studying really. That's all I'm. That's all I'm doing. <laughs> so nothing interesting. How about you? My life is just a repetitive mess. Okay. <laughs> um, this is Fanya. I decided to switch things up in my um reading habits and picked up a romance novel <laughs> thanks to <Ooh>. you <laughs> <laughs> but guys I've been rolling my eyes because <laughs> I'm just so like it's I mean and I'm trying not to be highbrow but it's not really highbrow I just don't have patience but there's just some declarations <laughs> that the male protagonist makes and I'm like guy calm down <laughs> <laughs> 
said no romantic man for but, I mean, it's funny because I'm actually a romantic. I consider myself a romantic, but for some reason, I'm just Aww. like, okay, this feels very over the top. But this book yeah. is that big romance. Hello. <laughs> um, Ife actually spoke about this on an earlier episode, An Extraordinary mm-hmm. Union by Alyssa Cole. Um, and when Ife mentioned it, I looked it up and I saw that a lot of people liked it and the sequel just came out. So it's really getting a lot of hype. And I was like, ooh, let me read this. And I'm mm-hmm. like, okay, <laughs> this is what it is. <laughs> I'm pushing myself to because this is very out of my comfort zone, so I'm trying to like be a good sport. <laughs> it's not yeah. really working out, but <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> yeah. That's it. This is Ife, so I am listening to Thirst Aid Kit. Our mm. fellow Nigerian sister, Bim Adewomi, my Twitter crush. If it was uh, Twitter my, crush too, uh, I believe. My, she's bigger we, than a crush. We're fangirls. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she just has this, like, she's like, you know, she has, she's one of the, she's one of my favorite mm-hmm. epitomes of, like, the internet. She's like, she just does interneting well, if I, <laughs> if I do say so myself. You know, she has a distinct personality that comes across. Yeah. She is funny. She's witty. She's kind. She's, like, interesting. She's complex. Anyway. Love, as you can tell, I love being my day with me. And she has a podcast called Thirst Aid Kit, where they essentially lust after people and like and dissect their thirst for people. And you know, it's like it's it's a it's female lust and you know desire is rarely talked about, and they really ah, they vocalize. They it's good. It's a good good listen. Highly probably not safe for work, but. Well, you know, it's going to be in your earbuds, so just keep the moans to to the minimum. You might be moaning here and there, but just, you know, try to keep it together if you're listening at work or in public. Um, I am watching, I just finally finished the last season of Orphan Black. Um, I get, like, see, I get, I get episodes or periods where I, so things just annoy me and I dump them and I go back to them so yeah. I finished last I, I finally finished Off From Black and I think it ended well it ended it was a nice ending so yeah yeah that's what I'm listening to and watching not reading anything new I'm still making my way through Bad Feminist which I love um, but still on it yeah nice. Sarah um, it's Christmas, so I'm listening to Michael Bublé's oh. Christmas album Ooh. and uh, Pentatonix. Yeah. Okay, have... we need to be friends, Sarah. Sarah. <laughs> <laughs> what do you say? Yes, let's do it. <laughs> um, so yeah, my music collection is quite interesting. Today, I've been listening to to these albums, but. During the week, I've been listening to my... I really like country music. So I have my country playlist. So I really like Brad Paisley. So I downloaded a few of his albums as We're well. Friends. We're friends. That's it. We're done. <laughs> <laughs> and then book-wise, I just started reading uh, Braving the Wilderness by Brene Brown. And it's really good. I mean, it's Brene anyway. She's just... I feel like she could say, eat more chicken in a way that you all think, oh my God, that's so deep. Because everything she says just comes out deep. So I just started reading it. 
And it's basically encouraging people to be comfortable being alone um, and to be, and she also talks a lot about belonging and how that's a quest so many people are on. And so just, I just started reading that it's, it's not light reading, but at the same time, it's not heavy reading. It's in between, but it's deep. So that's where I'm at right now. Cool. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining me, ladies. Thank you so much for um, joining us, Sarah. Sarah, where can people find you if they wanted to, you know, reach out to you? Are you on social media? Are you, you know, public? Do you want to stay semi-anonymous? Let us yeah, know. so, yeah, it's easy if they just go on my website. It's sarahdeinka.com. Okay. And then they can find me that way. I have my Twitter account linked to that page. I'm not very active on Twitter. More active on Instagram. Okay. than anything else okay. but yeah i'd say my website is the easiest way to find me awesome thank you yeah. all right nyc fam mm-hmm. thank you for joining us signing off this year on a you know somewhat serious note but i hope we've given you some things to think about and some things to take action on in the new year so thank you so much for listening and for sticking thank with you. us and we will catch you in 2018 wow all right then all right drops mic (laughs) Bye.